is essential to do. It's our, it's God's way of speaking to us. Um, we do and, and pray and, and speak. So um, because of this, when I finish, we'll say, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you will all say, thanks be to God. There's a couple Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, um, you can take that home with you if you grab one. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians, and I will read it. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will provide thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Pray first one more time. Father, we love you. Thank you for the truths of that song we sang. Our sins are many, uh, but your mercy is more. Thank you that that changes the way. in delighted in uh, we come in as your people because of your mercy because of your grace and your love thank you for that and um, thank you for your people thank you uh, just for your presence with us and um, you're so good to us um, pray that you would speak this morning lord we are uh, a distracted people um, only you can open hearts only you can has actually have power to impart truths into people's lives, into their minds. Only you can change people. Uh, only you can bring people that are dead to life. Um, we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be at work this morning. These things in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Good to be with you guys again. Paul James, I'm going to move this for a second. Look at the size of that music stand. There's something else. <laughs> um, cool. Well, we're, fit, we're just continuing our family trait series uh, this morning. Uh, I'm just going to pick up where Alan left off last week. Uh, we're going to continue to look at generosity. Um, like we said at the beginning, for this family trait series, we're just, 
We're just taking a, an extra close look at that kind of three-year vision, three-year goals that we've kind of put out uh, as a church family. Uh, the first two weeks, we spent some time looking at what it means to abide in Jesus. What does it mean to, to be a people who, who practice the presence of God, who are aware of his presence uh, and just enjoy that daily presence? Um, that's our starting point for, for everything that we do. Um, we, 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 we tried to... I tried to explain that our doing for the Lord, as important as it is, as necessary as it is, we, our doing actually flows out of our being with Him. Um, our, our being with Him is our starting point. It's your first work in your life, uh, and your doing should just come out of that. It should not outpace that. Um, our doing flows out of our being. So that's our, our goal every day, isn't it? Get Jesus. Be with Jesus. Gaze upon Jesus, His glory, His majesty know who he is, and then from there we respond to him and live. So um, last week, Alan started to look at that area of generosity, uh, which that, that goal is that we as a church body, um, we grow in our generosity, that we would, we would grow in an increase in our generosity as a, a church family. Uh, we've set a couple tangible goals to help us do that, and I'll just kind of mention those at the end. Um, but first, uh, let me remind you what Alan taught last week, because it's incredibly important. We learned that when it, when it comes to becoming more generous, so that's the goal, when it, com- becomes, it comes to becoming more generous, and we don't go straight to what we're doing. What are we giving? What can we do more? We start by looking at Jesus. We start by gazing at Jesus, um, look at who he is. Um, so again, our, our, we have this value, that we have this uh, culture that we want to... Um, uh, Habit Village. Is it on the screen? Do you have? No? That's okay. Um, this is the, the culture. We want to develop a culture of sacrificial living and generosity. We want to have this culture that says this is who we are, this culture of sacrificial living and generosity. Um, and here's how that value is stated. Um, in understanding the abundant sacrificial generosity of God, we want to be a community who are generous with our whole lives. This includes our time our resources, our talents, our abilities, and our money, and more. Jesus calls us to live a life of radical difference. In a world marked by consumption, we are seeking to build a community of countercultural generosity. And so our starting point in, in becoming a more generous people, a more generous community, is first to, to start by understanding God's generosity, understand His abundant sacrificial generosity, which is most clearly seen where? On the cross, in Jesus' life, in his life, and his death, and his resurrection. Look to Jesus to see God's abundant sacrificial generosity. That's what we did last week. We, we look to Jesus. We understand how eternally rich he was, he is. But before he came down to earth to, to, to become one of us, look at how uh, eternally rich he was. He had everything, didn't he? He had all power. He had all glory. He had all majesty. All of creation was, was for him, yet he didn't count those things as something to be grasped, something to, be cl- cl- uh, to cling on to. He, in fact, lowered himself. He came down to us. He stooped low. It says, though he was rich for our sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, we might become rich. So he stooped low. He, he, he kind of set aside his glory and his riches in order to come and initiate the reversal of our riches, of our eternal uh, situation. So in, in, when we, 
when we begin to understand that, when we begin to understand him, his abundant sacrificial generosity, our, when we have a greater kind of grasp of what he's done for us, our natural response inevitably will be to do the same, to, to be like him. And we live lives that are also radically generous. So I propose to you this, that, that if, when, you're, um, when you're evaluating your own life, which I want you to do, um, if you aren't living a radically generous life, I propose to you that you probably don't fully understand the radical generosity of God towards you, um, which is okay. We, we, I, I forget that. We, we, we kind of stray from that often. We, there, there's grace for you in that. I'm not trying to like heap shame on you, but my point is make him your starting point. If you want to become generous, look to him, understand his generosity on the cross towards you, and then we respond. So you won't, you won't become more generous by trying to be more generous. You won't become more generous by trying harder. It will happen when your affections begin to change. And that's what, that's what Paul said last week, didn't it? In Ephesians, or 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5, he said, first they gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us. And so we're back to that abiding with Jesus stuff, aren't we? And be, be with him, know him, understand his radical generosity, and that will begin to change your affections, which inevitably will result in change in your life, and it will result in radical generosity in, in how you live. Um, look to him. Uh, but our, our, this week, we're, we're turning our attention to our response. So our response to him, to his abundant sacrificial generosity, should be that, that we, in turn, are generous with our whole lives, that, that we... Um, um, we are living sacrificially, that we are generous. Um, it's a whole life thing too, isn't it? And we, we, we want to be generous with everything that, that God has blessed us with, um, with our time, with our resources, um, with our abilities, with our, with our talents, but also with our money. And that's something that he's given us. So that's going to be our focus today on financial generosity. So if you're a visitor, I'm just going to trust that God is sovereign that he has brought you here for a purpose. Um, I don't want you to think that we're asking you for, to give to this church. Um, we want you to receive Jesus, receive what we have for you today. So, um, but the rest of you, um, open up your pocketbooks. No, I'm just joking. That's, that's not what we're doing. Uh, we don't talk a lot about money at Village. We really don't. Um, uh, some of you, that might be the reason why you like this church. Um, we, don't, we don't have a lot of like financial appeals. We don't do a lot of like fundraising projects, which some of that is, is changing. But... Um, if I'm honest, we probably don't talk enough about money. Um, we, we probably should spend a little bit more time on the subject because um, it's in the Bible a lot. Um, we, the, the Bible um, talks a lot about money, so we shouldn't try to avoid uh, the subject just because it's a little bit uncomfortable, just because we, we don't want you to think we're some money-grabbing uh, church. If you read Luke's Gospel, um, pay attention to, to how he writes. Money's all over that. It's it's mainly a book about money. It's about Jesus, but he uses so much money analogy, analogies in there. He's constantly talking about money. Jesus talks a lot about money. It's an incredibly important area of your life, so we shouldn't avoid it. Tim Keller puts it as bluntly as this. He says, the Bible shows us that there can be no significant spiritual growth in your life unless you put your money and your attitude towards it into God's hands that again. 
There can be no, the Bible shows us that there can be no significant spiritual growth in your life unless you put your money and your attitude towards it into God's hands. Here's why that's true. It's because Jesus, as, as, as King of kings and Lord of lords, he rightly, rightfully demands to be let into every area of your life, to, to rule over every area. And that's what he asks all of his followers. Um, it, it's, if you read the book of Revelation, John gives this like, a future glimpse of, of this kind of future glory. Uh, and you get this incredible picture of Jesus as this ruler of all in chapter 19, where this picture where heaven's op- the heaven opens up and John sees Jesus on this white war horse. Um, and his name is called Faithful and True. And, and he sees him, he's righteously, he righteously judges and wages war. He, he, he's followed by this army who are also clothed in white. They're, they're dressed in white. They're, they're righteous and clean. They're on white horses. But Jesus rules over all. You see this picture of him. He's, he's wearing this white robe in Revelation 19. And, and on his thigh, this name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see this, this is like Jesus is the ruler of all. And you actually, though, before that, but back in the Gospels, in Jesus' kind of earthly, lowly ministry, you also see it there where any interactions that he has with people, he, he's, he's, he's living out this identity of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So when he, he calls his disciples uh, to, to follow him, he says, drop everything and, and follow me. Um, when he's, he's speaking to the rich young ruler, mel- multiple other times when he's dealing with his own 12 disciples, the message is always, I must be first in your life. You can't just kind of follow me, uh, like, like sometimes or kind of half-heartedly. Um, Jesus actually says, he actually says, consider the cost before you follow me. Because it is costly. It will cost you everything, but it's, it's glorious. And it's the only way to true eternal life and joy. Um, but he's saying, I must be Lord over all of your life. You can't kind of hold one aspect back from him. You can't, Jesus says you can't serve two masters. Um, you, you, I must be Lord over all of your life, which includes your money. Um, So we must put our money and our attitude towards money into God's hands if we want to experience any kind of spiritual growth. It'd be like you go into your GP and you say to your GP, man, I'm just tired all the time. I'm just worn out. I'm constantly getting sick. And a good GP would say, you need to tell me more. Tell me about all of your, let me into all of your life. Um, Tell me about your, your, your work. What do you do? What, tell me about your diet. What are you eating and how much are you drinking? Um, tell me about your habits. How much sleep are you getting? Do you exercise? How much are you exercising? You need, to, you need to tell me everything if you want me to help you. And it'd be like you saying, no, you're a physician. Here are my symptoms. I just want you to treat them and make me better. And your doctor would say, I can't do that. You need to let me into all of it, every area of your life if you want me to help. And it's, God kind of says the same. He says, unless you're willing to let me into every area of your life, I can't help you. Let me in. Let me rule over it all, and I will be able to help you. There will be so much healing and joy and peace for you. Um, we want to be a community that is known for our generosity. Um, the, these people who are radically different to the rest of our city, the radically different community than you find anywhere else. Um, there's a lot of passages uh, in the Bible you could, you could 
go to for, to talk about uh, financial generosity. One of those moments like in the office where you're like, what about this one? What about this one? There's just, just so many uh, you can look at. But we're just going to stick in 2 Corinthians. Um, uh, last week, 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. So um, all through the Bible, what you see, one of the marks of God's people um, is radical generosity. In the Old Testament, you see that. In the New Testament, you see that. The mark of God's people is radical generosity. Um, if there's a group, in, in, say there's a group in Belfast, and they're like, we are followers of Jesus. They claim to be followers of Jesus, but you don't see that they are a radically generous community, then I think you have every right to, to question if they are genuine community, genuine followers of Jesus or not, because the, the, the mark of real Christians is to be generous radically generous. Um, like we said last week, it's this response to God's radical generosity, but the response to His generosity is we now live radically generous lives as well. Read the text one more time. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. Paul says, the point is this. Love when Paul does that. Love when he's like, let me make it easy for you. I'm, here's the point. Here's what I want you to understand. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, that word is generously, will also reap bountifully or generously. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, the service is them giving. Um, by their approval of this service, um, I've lost my place. Where am I? 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Wow. They will glorify God. Why? Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's an amazing passage. There's lots we could uh, pull out of that text, but here's three things that I want us to see. Um, first, they want us to see the, the impact of radical generosity or, or, or the, the results of radical Christian generosity. I want you to see the, the motivation for radical generosity. And lastly, we'll look at the measure or, or really the manner of radical generosity. So first one, uh, the impact of radical Christian generosity. I'm going to start backwards. So you think we'd, we'd look at the results at the end. We want to start by looking uh, at them this morning. So again, let me give you the context here. Paul is he's raising money for famine relief. There's been a famine in, in, in Jerusalem, there's many people in need, and Paul is going to the Christians in Asia Minor to ask them for help, to ask them to give money to help. Um, and Paul here says that the impact 
of their, rather, uh, of their generous giving will really be twofold. And we see in verse 12 that through the radical generosity of these Christians, they are supplying the physical needs of others. Literally, people will be physically fed. But more than that, not only that, their generosity will lead people to praise God. And remember a couple of weeks ago, I said, talked about our, our, our dual nature as, as, as humans, really. We are, we are body and we are soul. You are a material being, you're physical flesh, but you're also spiritual. Um, and, and what you've seen historically across the globe is the church has focused on meeting both of those needs for humans, physical needs and, uh, and spiritual needs. The, the biggest starter of, of hospitals and schools and, and food banks across the world is the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, a, a massive focus of Jesus' church is to meet physical needs of those around them, but also the, the church obviously focuses on meeting spiritual needs. Uh, we, we, we preach the gospel in order to, for souls to be saved. Um, and throughout history, across the globe, whenever a church sprouts up, whenever the, the people of God begin to live in response to the gospel, change happens. Uh, communities are, are transformed. People are, are transformed. And that change, you see, always happens through radical generosity. Um, a great example of that is, is the church in Acts 2, that fellowship of believers who, who were so blown away. They're so captivated by the gospel, so, so amazed by what Jesus had done for them that they became a, a community of radical generosity. And in, in, in the end of, of Acts 2, you see they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon every soul. These signs and wonders were being done. The Holy Spirit was powerfully at work in their, in their, in their midst. Um, it says all who believed were, were together. They had unity. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their, their belongings. They were distributing the proceeds to, to any that had need. They were daily, wor- daily worshiping together. Uh, eating together with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And you see the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, so that's this community that understood the abundant sacrificial generosity of God towards them. They were blown away by that, and their response was radical generosity, which, which resulted in radical change in their community. And that change you see in that text was both physical and spiritual. Physical needs were being met, and also souls were being saved. Isn't that amazing? The the impact of their abundant sacrificial generosity was both physical and spiritual. And back in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12, that's what Paul says will be the impact of these Christians' generosity. That physical needs will be met. People will be fed, but more than that, there will be this overflowing of thanksgiving to God. Verse 13 says, through the gifts of these people, many will glorify God. What an incredible result of their, their generosity, of their giving. God gets praise. He, he gets glory. Um, and so do you see, when, when we hold back, when we opt out of this kind of living, of this generous giving, we actually opt out of the privilege of, of meeting human needs, but we also deny ourselves the honor of promoting God's glory. The church in Acts 2 was, was exploding, 
And it was because the outsiders were looking in and saying, something has happened inside these people's hearts. Something incredible has happened that, has, that, that, has, that is uh, resulting in them not considering their stuff their own. They're, they're just willingly giving their things away. They're more concerned with other people than what they're concerned for, for themselves and their future. What has happened inside of them? They've never, they've never seen anything like this. Something radical must have happened on the inside of these people, which was absolutely true. Um, We'll look at the motivation of radical generosity. But before we do that, I want to ask you that question. How do people look at you? How do people view village, which is you, and you, and you, and you? What do people say about us? They say, man, those people, when you get close to them, they just shower you with their generosity. They just shower you with their time and their resources and their money. They, they actually don't, they don't con- those people don't consider their homes as their own. They don't consider their possessions as their own. They don't consider their money as their own. They're just so generous with everything they have. Is that what people think about village? Is that what people say about you? And again, if not, then maybe we don't have operating inside of us what was operating inside of these people. So what was operating inside of them? What was the motivation of their generosity? There's two things that I think you pick up on in verses 10 and 16, or back in 2 Corinthians 9. There's this important thing that, that Paul touches on in verses 10 and 11. In verses 10 and 11, Paul's like, here's something that you need to understand. And when you begin to understand this, your life will be transformed and, and your, uh, it will result in radical generosity in your life. Look at verse 10. Paul says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So who's, who's he at the beginning of verse 10? Who's, he, who's, who's the one that, that supplies seed to the sower and bread for food? God. He's speaking about God there. He says, God supplied seed for sowing. He, produ- he, he supplies bread for food, and he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. He will increase your harvest of righteousness. He, he will enrich you in every way so that you can be generous in every way, which will produce thanksgiving to God. Again, Paul wants you to understand your, your, your place in this universe. In this universe. It's, this, it's this, this understanding of you are the recipient of all things. You, you, you are, you are the, the, the receiver, and God is the giver. He wants you to understand that, that all of life is grace. He wants you to see that, 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 that all of life is grace. Sure, like you might, you, you're working. You, you, a lot of you work really hard, but you're working with, with breath inside your lungs that is grace from God. You're using talents and mind power that God has graciously given to you. The, the skills that you have, God has given you those. The, the job that you have, the opportunities that you have, that is because God's grace. The fact that you, you, you were born in a, a relatively peaceful Northern Ireland, 
and not in the deserts of Afghanistan in the 90s. That's because of God's grace in your life. He is the giver and the supplier of all that you have. And he's just asking you to recognize that here. He wants you to, to recognize that. And when you begin to understand that, you begin to stop clenching your fists so tightly. You, you begin to open up your hands and you realize every good gift in your life is from him. And he just wants you to use those good gifts to bless others and to glorify his name. What an amazing opportunity he's brought you into. That's, the motiva- that's, that's part of the motivation of radical generosity. But in verse 13, you see the main motivation. Paul says, They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. That word submission can also be translated as obedience. So, so why are their needs being met? Why are they now glorifying God? Paul says, because of your obedience. Because of you, because of, because of your submission, your obedience, that, that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. What is that? What's this confession of the gospel of Christ? What's that look like? It, it, it's this recognizing that you were once hopelessly lost. That, 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 that you were, by nature, an enemy of God. You wanted nothing to do with him. But Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says, you were dead in your trespasses. You had no spiritual breath in your lungs, but God loved you. He loved you so much that even while you rejected him, he loved you so much that he actually proved that love by sending his only son to come and live a life that you could never live and to die a death that you and I surely deserve. And, and because of, not because of anything you've done, but solely because of what Christ has come and done for you, he has now changed your identity. He is, he, you are no longer an enemy of God. You are in his family. You're one of his sons or his daughter. You, you are now a co-heir with Christ. That's amazing. You're part of God's eternal family. Paul says, you are now an ambassador of Christ. That's a confession of the gospel of Christ. And and when you begin to understand that glorious news, what's the result? Obedience. Always obedience. That's what Jesus says. Back to that abiding, abide in that, plant yourself there, abide in that love, and it will result in obedience. And do you know what obedience looks like? Radical generosity. Paul says, you're an ambassador of Christ who now proclaims that glorious news. You're an ambassador who now proclaims that gospel, and one of the ways you do that is by giving generously for the glory of his name. Don't you see, when you begin to shift your understanding that all of life is grace, that every good thing in your life is from God, He's freely given that to you, the smallest things to the, the most precious things. All of life is grace, and when your heart 
When you understand that, and when your heart is filled because of the good news of Jesus, because of what he has graciously done for you, because what, what he has freely brought you into, you'll begin to use your money radically different. There's no other result radically different than the rest of the world. And you see in verses 6 and 8 what it actually looks like. What does it actually look like to be radically generous? What's the, the measure, or more importantly, the manner of this kind of giving? Look at verse 6. He says, the point of this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. Paul Barnett, he's a New Testament scholar. He says, God's grace towards us reproduces his graciousness within us. Let me say that again. God's grace toward us, it reproduces his graciousness within us. We, we are responding to his abundant sacrificial generosity towards us, most clearly seen in Jesus Christ on the cross, uh, Jesus' death on the cross. That's where you most clearly see it. What, what do you see there? You see that his, his, his grace towards us is infinite. It's, it's not measured out. He didn't like portion out a little bit for you. He, he showered it on you. And now we who receive that, that kind of generosity, we now show generosity without measurement, without calculation. We, we're not under compulsion Ours is this, this ready, cheerful kind of giving. We're looking for ways to be generous. God loves a, a cheerful giver. Why? Because he himself is a cheerful giver. That's who he is. You see that in verse, seven, uh, verse 15. He's given in us this inexpressible gift in Jesus. God is a cheerful giver, so he wants his children to be cheerful givers as well. He didn't measure out his graciousness, so he doesn't want us to either. Now, I don't want you to hear that our giving should just be kind of ad hoc and casual or impulsive. Sometimes it's good to give that way. But it's, notice in verse 7, he says, each person should give as he's decided in his heart to give. So our giving, he's saying it's this intentional thing. It's this prayerful thing. You, you, you've, you've, it's this inward resolve that you've, you've thought about, you've prayed about, that's followed by this decisive and, and cheerful giving. Different. In the Old Testament, there was, a, there was a law, this command to give 10% of all that you had. That's what the law said in the Old Testament. What does the New Testament say? What does Jesus say in the New Testament? Be like me. Give like I give. I didn't give. I didn't hold anything back from you. I, I, Jesus is the, the definition of radical generosity. Jesus says, be like me. Have the heart that I have. Jesus is saying, trust me in this. Trust me enough to take care of you. Trust me to meet your every needs. Trust me enough to be obedient in this. Give like I give, generously and cheerfully. 
Brother or sister, I'll ask you again. Are you living a radically generous life? Let me urge you, don't miss out. Like, don't miss out on the, the blessings, on the joy, on the honor that come from living a life of obedience and this worshipful response to God's abundant sacrificial love and generosity towards you. And that's the root of what we're really talking about. We're, we're, we're not talking about money. We're talking about the value of Jesus. We're, we're, not, it's not, we're not talking about, about money. We're talking about the value of Jesus. We're talking about how his extraordinary love towards you, about, about how his kindness and his mercy and his beauty and his goodness and his power have captivated and transformed your heart through his death, the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, that we now spend the rest of our lives proclaiming who he is. It's not ultimately about money. It's ultimately about the glory of our Savior. It's amazing. What a reason to, to be generous. What a reason to, to not hold back. A lifelong response and proclamation that involves your whole life, which includes your money. And that's the preach over. I'm just going to end with, with a, a few kind of practical things um, that can help us with this. Um, firstly, um, hopefully, um, I think in the past few weeks, you, some of you would have gotten like a white envelope um, that, that if you're a regular giver that gives in a, a documented kind of way, so like you, you, you put money in the box, but you write your name on an envelope. We know that it's you. You give uh, by standing order. There's money that comes in. We know it's from you. Um, you'll have received one of those envelopes, um, and inside of it was an end-of-the-year kind of giving letter. M- mostly what that, that, that letter is two things. Firstly, it's a, it's a thank you um, for being generous and for giving to Jesus' church and village. Um, um, secondly, it's, it's a, hopefully a hopeful tool. So in that letter, it'll, it'll say, Here, here's what you've given over the last 12 months. Um, and hopefully, that helps you do 2 Corinthians 9-7, which is to give as you've decided in, in your heart. So hopefully, it's a helpful tool in that way. Um, so again, don't let your giving be casual or, or just kind of haphazard. Um, be intentional with it. Pray about it. If you're married, have you discussed that with your spouse recently? Do you do that regularly? Um, pray about those things. Um, don't just kind of maybe set a standing order and then just, you just never think about it again. It should be this cheerful thing. It should be this prayerful, intentional thing. So um, may that be a, a helpful tool for you to evaluate um, that from time to time. Here's how much I'm giving. Here's how much the Lord is blessing me with and, and, and let you do that. It's, hopefully it's a helpful tool and not like a, a hammer over your head and if you, if you go away today feeling any kind of shame and guilt and beat down, then I've completely failed you this morning. I want you to see the glory of God's generosity towards you and how we can joyfully respond to that. I don't want you to feel condemned today. So um, let that letter be a helpful tool and a thank you. Um, and then there's, there's a couple other kind of practical goals that we've set for the next few years. Um, the first one is that's mainly for, for self is to grow in our financial generosity so that we become more financially independent. 
hate it putting it that way because we are wholly dependent on Jesus. Um, but we want to grow. We want to mature as a congregation. Um, Village South is, 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 is growing um, by the grace of Jesus. Um, it's a, you guys are young, aren't we? It's a young congregation. Um, we want to learn to live generous, sacrificial lives now. We don't want to wait till we're older and there's, 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 there's um, you know, we're all, we're, we all have gray hair and then we're finally living. What if we learn to do that now? It's so easy to get caught up, and I know from experience, in your, in your youth, in your early years of marriage, in your early years of parenthood. Do I have a house to get? I need to make sure everyone's sorted and you need to be responsible in that. Where's, what's my career? Where am I going with that? You just get caught up in your own story, in your own self. What would it look like to learn, as you do that, as you take care of those in your life, to be radically generous with your life? That we don't consider our, our own homes as something that's mine. That's what we, when it comes to generosity, when it comes to finances, when it comes to possessions, we easily become children, don't we? Mine. That's what my kids do. I'm like with my kids, I'm like, hey, can I have a bite of that? No, it's mine. I love telling my kids, no, it's mine. Like that toy that you love, that's actually mine. Like you think it's yours, but it's actually mine. I, I bought that. Um, everything in this house is mine. I just, I just give it to you generously. It's great being a dad. Um, may we learn um, in our youthfulness um, to, 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 to value that now. And when we, when we open up our Monzo account and see that number, and we think, that's, that's the Lord's. He has graciously given that to me. Lord, how can I use this to, to meet the needs of others, to, to glorify your name? Um, we want to become more financially self-funded, put it that way, as, as a church congregation here. I'll tell you where, where we're at. It's about, I think it's about 30 70%, about 30% sustained by your giving, internal giving. I have about 70% from external supporters, um, which is good and normal for the stage of church plant that Village South is at. Um, we just want to see that continue to, to shift that balance and, and to see our people grasp Jesus, grasp who he is, and, and to, to grow in our generosity um, so that we can see the needs of others met, so that we can see Jesus' name proclaimed, so we can plant more churches, so we can support more churches, so we can be generous like other churches are being generous to us. Um, there's needs of, of this congregation as well. We need another, we could use another staff person here. We need another, uh, another staff and a half or so. Angie needs help. Um, and and we, we do our best. Um, Nathan and Emily, the Lord willing, are going to shift more attention over to the West Belfast. And uh, there's, there's needs here. And those needs will be met by our people grasping the gospel and giving generously. Um, the Lord's been so good to us, hasn't he? He's been so good to us. And um, we should, we should, uh, think about his goodness, think, think of the past, celebrate what he's doing. Um, that stirs up our hearts, doesn't it, to respond? Um, that's one of our goals. Again, we're going to accomplish that goal, not by trying harder, but by being with Jesus, by gazing at Jesus, by understanding who he is, and then we begin to respond. Pray about that, would you? That's our first Response, let's pray about that. Let's ask the Lord to do that in our, in our midst, in our hearts. Um.
confidently that he will. Um, I think he will. Um, another uh, way um, for, for you to be generous is our, our East building uh, campaign, fundraising thing. Uh, we're trying to purchase uh, the building that Village East is in. Um, we don't own that building. We don't own this building. We've been uh, blessed with uh, use of these buildings. Uh, we pay rent, um, a very great price from the Association of Baptist Churches in Ireland uh, for that. Um, we don't own these places. Um, the particular thing about East, the East building is they need to sell that building. Um, they, they're going to sell that building and we would love it to be us. Um, um, because uh, that was Bloomfield Baptist Church. Bloomfield Baptist Church was, that church was planted uh, in 1903, I believe. It's about 120 years of, of a faithful gospel presence there. Think of all the, the lives that have been changed because of that little community. Think of all the baptisms that have happened and uh, the souls that have been saved and the missionaries sent out. Uh, we would love, if the Lord doesn't return, for another 100 years of, of gospel presence there. Um, so we're thinking not about just right now, but about generations to come. Um, what happens there, we're, we're, we're together. Um, it's, what happens there is beneficial for here and it, and it affects here. Um, and, and one day, um, we're, we're going to need a, a building to, to purchase here. We're going to need a place. Let me remind you of our, our culture that's never going to change, of church's family. Church is not a place you go into. It's not an event that you go to. You don't go to church you are the church. The church is a people, a family, something that you've been divinely uh, invited into. Um, that is our, our value that will never change. Um, but places are helpful. Places are useful. Um, and we need places to gather. We need places to do ministry. So that's another way. We're trying to raise 400,000 pounds by the end of August. Um, uh, just asking our people to pray about that. Pray the Lord would meet those needs. Uh, pray, Lord, what do you want to do how can I be part of that and respond? So um, that's, that's one other kind of way you can do that. But he's good to us, isn't he? He's so generous to us. Um, right now, in this moment, his generosity is, is, is being showered on you. So uh, maybe we'd be aware of that. Uh, maybe we respond to that joyfully and cheerfully uh, for the glory of his name and for change in our world. So stand with me and pray. God, you are so good. That goodness is, is who you are. You are good. You are, you are love. You are gracious. You are merciful. And we confess, Lord, we, we, often are, we often live kind of blindly to those things. We often live our lives as if we are the, our makers, as if we are the ones who, who decide our destiny and decide who we are and what we do. Um, Lord, you are the good giver of all things in our life. Um, help us to understand that, Lord. Help us to remind each other of that regularly. Remind each other of your goodness, your grace, and your love. 
mercy towards us. And, and may a greater understanding, a greater grasp of your goodness, most clearly seen in the life and death of Jesus, may that begin to capture our affections again. Even more than it is this morning, may we leave just enamored by Jesus, what you've done. And, and may that result in change in us. May it transform our hearts that begins to change our lives, the way we live, the way we view our things, the way we speak to people, the way we use our money, all because of you. Do that for us, Lord, we pray. Do what only you can do, uh, which is to make a people uh, more generous, to make a more, people more like you. We believe you do that. That's the, that's the business that you're in, is transforming people into your likeness from one degree of glory to another. And do that for us, Lord. Pray for my brothers and sisters here, those who, who may not even know you. Um, Lord, may they consider who Jesus is, what he's done for them. Um, may today be the day of salvation for, for maybe someone in this room today. May you transfer their, transform their, their spirit, their soul. Um, like we said, from being an enemy to being part of your family. Do that, Lord. I pray for those who, who, who are kind of sleepy Christians, who, who, who don't have a, a, a constant and a clear awareness of, of who you are. We can stray, Lord. I pray that you'd uh, rekindle something in their hearts and that, that you would do something to, to capture their affections. Um, I, I pray for those who are older, who have been faithful, who do give generously. Lord, do more. Um, capture more affections. And we love you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going we're gonna to take this bread and this wine, and we're going to remember his generosity. This is the, the, the picture of what he's done for us. Um, the bread, normally, I miss having like a loaf, don't you? Where it's like physically torn apart, and someone says his body was broken for you, and his blood, which is the wine, is poured out for you. And uh, what a tangible, something you can taste. So it's like this, this tangible reminder of his goodness and his love. Um, uh, that's what we're going to do, is remember his goodness, remember his generosity. Uh, maybe, that, maybe that remembrance uh, begin to transform our hearts a little bit more. Just one person from your bubble, come up, grab what you need, take it back. Declare to your group, declare to that person, say, his body was broken for you, his blood was shed for you. Don't be, don't be shy, don't be afraid to say that. Say it. Look him in the eye and say it. Glorious news. Um, and we're going to sing and we're going to praise what he's done.